Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Today, not unlike any other show, I am just as excited because I have a very special guest, someone who has written about uh, the work that she's done in um, schools uh, as a high school social studies teacher. And I invited her because she wrote an article that particularly interested me and I think would be interested, interesting to a number of you out there about the truth about our democracy and democracy in, in, in quotes. And so I'm pleased to introduce to you um, a, a brilliant educator, Ursula wolf Uh Ursula, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Perkins. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're, we're happy to have you. And as I, I told you, you know, the 30 minutes goes so quickly. I'm just going to jump right in and ask you. So I know that you've been uh, previously a high school social studies teacher um, in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. Uh, tell me right. a little bit about, so a little bit about your background, how you ended up there, you know, what, what, what particularly made you want to be uh, a high school social studies teacher, because what I've read about some of the things you've written, um, I, I, I kind of guess that you had some other things in mind about how you wanted to make sure uh, students uh, heard about history. So tell us, how, how did you get started in this? Right. Um, well, that's a great question. I was um, did not intend to be a high school social studies teacher. I found myself in college um, really drawn to African-American history and ended up majoring in African-American history and then, um, you know, contemplating going and getting a PhD, but also feeling like I was in my early 20s and what did I know about the world and what, what lens could I possibly bring to history being so young and having so little lived experience. And so I thought, well, I'll teach for a few years (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. naive way that folks who don't understand education um, think you just can go teach for a few years. Um, (laughs) Right. Oh, as a a side afterthought, right? Like, oh, I think I'll go Exactly. Exactly. And I got totally hooked on the complexity of it, um, all the different skills required, I love adolescents. I love teenagers. I think they're so exciting and funny and rad. And, uh, and when I um, had been a white person in an African-American studies department, you know, there was the completely legitimate question of sort of like, why you, why this history? And um, I don't know that I had a perfectly at that time good answer, but what was clear to me was that I knew I wanted to work with white kids. Like I, I thought that, you know, I think obviously the whole question of what history we learn and what history we don't learn um, is sort of most urgent for those folks who don't see themselves in the pages of most textbooks. But mm-hmm. I also think it's urgent for white kids. I mean, 
white kids are being miseducated as well when they're not learning black history. So that's sort of how I ended up in one of the whitest suburbs of one of the whitest cities in the United <laughs> States, um, mm -hmm. teaching a curriculum that's, that um, it makes, a, makes an effort to really include um, the stories and histories of folks who tend to be marginalized from, mm -hmm. you know, corporate curricula. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I see now you're on, so you're on the editorial board of Rethinking Schools uh, magazine. Uh, what, what is the, I guess, the overall uh, focus and, and mission of that um, organization, I guess, slash magazine, uh, Rethinking Schools in what way? Yeah, so um, Rethinking Schools is a nonprofit publisher and advocacy organization um, that's really dedicated to public education um, and dedicated to social justice teaching and, and activism. Mm -hmm. And I came to Rethinking Schools as a teacher author, which is one of the things that, that Rethinking Schools really tries to do. We have a, a magazine as well as books. And in the magazine, um, a lot of the pieces are written by working teachers. So my first article in Rethinking Schools was um, a piece I wrote about teaching about COINTELPRO. And um, over time, I, I started publishing more with them and, and ended up joining the editorial board. Um, and, but one of the things that sort of sets Rethinking Schools apart, there's now a lot of players in sort of social justice education publishing and i think one of the things that rethinking schools does is to give readers both um curriculum articles so a, a glimpse inside teachers classroom but also to take on um, politics and policy so the big sort of overarching issues that that shape the context um, in which educators find themselves having to operate right right well, great. That sounds very uh, interesting. So um, I, as I told you before you got on, I said, you know, um, uh, usually I invite guests on for one of a couple of reasons. One, I may have heard you speak or I may have read something that you written in a, uh, a magazine or a journal. And that was the case with you. I, I read the article that you wrote about, uh, I think the title was, like, the United States is not a democracy. Stop telling students <laughs> that it is. So that caught my attention. So I know you wrote yeah. it about a year ago, but it just caught my right. attention, you know, a couple months ago. And with everything that's going on, I was just like, wow, let me see what this is. Right. And so I read through it and I was fascinated uh, by some of the things that you said. Uh, but, I, you know, tell me more about, so this you hold this position um tell me i guess more so give me a, a hint or or a bird's eye view of what happens in your classroom so you're teaching right. i'm assuming what is it 11th grade um american history maybe or uh or right civics. yeah so both both 10th grade civics i've spent a number of years teaching and 11th grade u.s history gotcha. um Okay. Yeah. So, so what, yeah. Are, what are and, you teaching? So what are you teaching? Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that the thing that I, so, I mean, I can talk about individual lessons that I teach in, a, in, in just a second, you know, but I guess mm -hmm. the main thing and the main thing I was trying to say with that somewhat incendiary, but very honest title of that yeah, article, yeah. you know, that we should stop telling students that the United States is a democracy 
I just really want to emphasize the part of telling students. That is that I think so much of our civics curriculum treats democracy as a given. Mm -hmm. In other words, we just refer to the United States as a free country or a Mm -hmm. democratic system. And I think that's really not useful for kids. It, what, mm. what, what skills of inquiry does that endow them with to just simply tell them to stipulate the United States as a democracy? And so I guess overall what my curriculum seeks to do is to raise it as a question. Are we a democracy? You know, to what extent are we a democracy? What policies are currently you know, on offer for making us more democratic or less democratic. And then, of course, who, um, you know, now and historically has had access to political power, who hasn't, why? So, Mm -hmm. you know, in other Mm -hmm. words, those are all questions. And all I, I was really saying in that article is that there are a lot of things that if you're a kid, you're looking around at, and they don't actually make much sense, you know? Like, mm-hmm. how is it that in the United States, the person with fewer votes can win a presidential mm-hmm. election? Mm-hmm. How is it that, you know, a majority of senators can be elected by millions fewer voters than the minority in the Senate and can use that power to confirm a Supreme Court justice? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, or to, to bring us up to the last couple of weeks, how is it that incredibly popular policies like free community college or paid family leave or robust climate policy, you know, can get axed from yes. Biden's spending bill? Because mm-hmm. those things don't seem very democratic. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and so overall, as an adult, I feel like we have a responsibility to kids to not tell them to believe things that don't make any sense mm-hmm. or at least if things don't make sense to really take the time to explain it. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's sort of in a nutshell, I guess, what yeah. I'm trying to do in, in my curriculum. Sure. Sure. You know, as you were talking, I was trying to remember and I reflected on a course I took in graduate school about uh, uh, education politics. And one of the books that I was exposed to was a book called, um, it was actually written in the 1930s. I'm pro- I know you probably uh, have heard of this, uh, but it was by a gentleman by the name of Harold Laswell. And it was called Politics, Who Gets What, When, and How. Uh. And, and so he, he described, and it was really kind of an analysis of like everything you just said, power, manipulation, by some ruling elites, and um, and and it was really just talking about that, you know. At the end of the day, um, there are things that people will fight for or fight against based on their 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 economic interests um, for the most part, um, and and those really with the most money wins, <laughs> you know. And I mean, we see right. that we see that over and over again. Um, but, you know, so how do you as a teacher who uh, is trying to say, okay, it's not a democracy, but I think what I hear you saying is that what we need to be doing is under, we need to teach them. 
to understand that it's a constant fight towards democratic ideals. Right. That it's right. not, we're not there. You, like the, the, the idea of democracy is a hope for democracy. Um, it's not, we're, we've not been there. And I, you even said it. You said there's never been a time where we've lived up to, you know, equality for all and, and, and that's not the case. But we've had to fight for it. People have had to risk life and limb for it. Um, So uh, my question is, so exposing young people to kind of the bitter truth of that reality, how do you balance that to say, so keep hope, (laughs) um, be be optimistic and participate in the process? How do you balance that? Right. Absolutely. Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I guess I'll answer broadly, and then I'll just talk about a specific lesson um, yeah. that I've written and that I've used. And so, you know, um, broadly, I think this is really, um, you know, Rethinking Schools co-coordinates uh, the Zen Education Project, which is a, you know, an online um, resource of sort of free lessons and resources that um lift up what we call people's history. That is, um, you know, the idea that that history is, you know, not made by, you know, some very charismatic individual or just by elected leaders, but that it's made by movements of people. And so I think one thing is, you know, was sort of answered in your question, which is that the fight for democracy is an ongoing struggle. And it's a struggle that there have been really heroic um, moments and victories that we can look to um, both to feel inspired and also to model our own activism um, mm-hmm. in the present. And so I think one thing is that we also, of course, we're going to be teaching um, about, you know, as I talk about in that article, you know, the fact that the compromise of the electoral college had everything yes. to do with yes. enslavement and the three-fifths compromise and it's yes. deeply uh, entangled in, in slavery. At the same time, right, we're going to be teaching about the era of reconstruction, which was this incredible blossoming and flowering of a potential mm-hmm. multiracial democracy, mm-hmm. largely driven by formerly enslaved people who, right. you know, in the very months after emancipation were already creating new institutions and building the potential of the U.S. democracy. So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's so much hope in the history. I think the point is to, is to surface the forms of hope that students feel that they could be part of, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we just talk about MLK all the time, me as this sort of, you know, frumpy middle-aged person living in Portland, Oregon feels like, well, if if I have to be MLK to make a difference, I better not even get up this morning. We need examples of of everyday folks who participated in these movements. So my example of a lesson that does this is I have a, a lesson on the voting rights struggle and it's a, what we um, call a mixer role play where every student in the class gets a different person that they learn about. And these are all real people from history. Um, and every person has a story related to the struggle for voting rights. Um, some of them are telling a story about uh, obstacles they faced 
trying to vote, some of them are telling stories about um, the struggle and victory to get the right to vote. And the mm-hmm. stories are over 300 years of history. There's like, mm-hmm. we have the stories from the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s, and then the modern moment. Um, and they are people of different races, different genders. And students see, hopefully, at the end, is that it is true that, um, you know, the, the, the right to vote, acquiring and broadening, you know, who has the franchise has not just been a straight upward line. It isn't like the United States just gets more and more democratic as with every year that passes. You know, it's more peaks and valleys. There are periods of time where the vote expands, where more people get the franchise. And then there are periods of time where it contracts. Um, And so students at the end of the lesson are filled both with stories of hope as as well as real stories of obstacles. Um, But they also are, the, the story ends in their moment. In the, mm-hmm. in the right now. They're mm-hmm. learning about people who are struggling right now to enlarge the franchise. They are learning about efforts to, you know, suppress the vote that are happening right now. And to me, that is gives kids a place to hang their hope and to hang their urgency to act, right? Like they mm-hmm. can, mm-hmm. if they know these struggles are happening right now, then they can ask themselves, well, how might I participate? And in a place like here in Oregon, the story isn't all sad, right? We have actually expanded the franchise. Like we have motor voter, you know, a motor voter law where there's automatic voter registration when you get your driver's license and 16 and 17 year olds can, you know, pre can pre register. So, you know, I, I think, but I think your point that we do as educators absolutely need to be really thinking about balancing um, the hard, <laughs> difficult stuff with the with the stories of hope and resistance and ongoing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. activism. No, absolutely. And I'm I'm going to tell you, I uh, another reason I was just so um, taken by the article you wrote um, was kind of the breadth of of citation you had there. And I I said to myself, I can only imagine what your high school classrooms are like. Now you, you, the fact that you are quoting Angela Davis, um, uh, William Barber II, um, people like that, um, contemporary uh, writers and, and thinkers around uh, the democracy and, and struggle um, are very encouraging to me that the students that, that you've come across have been, have really been educated in the true sense of the word. Um, and, and so I, I, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the 1776 commission and I, you, I've had mm-hmm. uh, people who have come on and, and offered their critical analysis of the 1776 uh, commission, but also um, had the um, the executive director from the American Historical Association, who you know said nothing shy of um, it. Not a credible historian uh, alive is would would endorse that. Um, I, I wanted to see you know like you you now 
obviously, quoting people like Davis and Barber, um, you're not going to be in line with what 1776 Commission would have you and how it would have you um, teach. But uh, I want you to tell me a little bit about how you feel or and felt when you heard people talking about banning uh, lessons on critical race theory, not that it was being taught at the high school level, but certainly using words in your lessons like racism and white supremacy. They don't like right. there are places that are saying you can't talk about that in your high school classrooms. How did that make you yeah. feel, you and your fellow educators? Yeah, I mean, really, really, uh, really scary times for teachers. Um, and, you know, I've, I am out of the classroom this year. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things I've asked myself a lot is sort of whether, you know, would I be attacked in new ways um, that, you know, now that so many teachers, I mean, I hear stories on a daily basis from friends and colleagues and comrades across the country whose, whose curricula are really under a microscope um, mm-hmm. by these, in these very scary ways. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I literally, and I, I think you, you, you see this in what I've written. Mm-hmm. I would not be able to get through, you know, a single day of my <laughs> U.S. history course um, with the language of some of these laws because, of course, racism is a, you know, is a sort of central organizing system of the United mm-hmm. States. There is no, mm-hmm. there is no United States outside of um, racism. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, a formative um, structure. So I, I, these laws are absolutely um, terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I think they're also really complicated for teachers to figure out how to navigate because I think on the one hand, there's these folks saying like, well, if you actually read the laws, they don't actually prohibit, you know, teaching a particular lesson. Uh, But, you know, I think there's a lot of history that would suggest that um, whatever the the actual word of the law, if if folks feel (laughs) that they're going to be attacked or penalized, um, you know, because their work is under this very kind of malicious microscope, you know, they'll do what many of us would do when we're under attack. They'll hunker down. They'll try to keep to themselves. They'll try to, you know, protect their livelihoods and keep their families safe, you know, and, and all it takes in these cases is this small group of parents um, or folks who are presenting themselves as parents, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to show up at a school board meeting and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, uh, going in a million directions. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, the thing I always want to emphasize when people bring this up is that there is this uh, narrative on the right that teachers like me are coming into my classroom with, a little red book, you know, Mao's little right. red book um, That's of right. things that I'm right. setting out to indoctrinate the students with. And that could not be further from the truth, that what my experience has been teaching privi- mostly privileged, mostly white kids 
is that they are pretty desperate and hungry for explanations about why the world looks the way it does. Uh, you know, yeah. they're living in the real world. They, you know, as I say, I live in Portland, Oregon, and we have, you know, tents in every possible green space there is in this city. It is filled with houseless people who are living in tents. You know, they see those inequalities and they want explanations, you know, um, they see that there are very few black kids that live in their neighborhood and go to their school and that there's many, many, many more black kids who live in other neighborhoods and go to other schools. And they want to know why that is. You know, they see that there was this upsurge here in the Pacific Northwest of anti-Asian, you know, racism and violence that seemed to go hand in hand with the pandemic. And mm -hmm. they want to know why it's like that. Yeah. You know, so for me, it's we teachers who are, you know, teaching about race and racism and the history of racism in the United States. I feel like we are doing our sort of ethical duty by young people, which is to answer their questions. And kids have a lot of questions about yeah. that. Certainly yeah. white kids do, you know. Sure. Um, I can sure. only speak to my ex. They have a right. lot of questions. Well, you know, I was, I, I thank you for that, because I was going to ask you, um, and you did a great job of, of describing um, what the children want, and, and you said they were hungry for it. Um, right. uh, I, I was wondering how they responded to the work that you're doing, and I'm sure so many of your colleagues are to try to expose them to the truth. Right. Um, right. I, you know, I, I was always uh, somewhat um, confused and puzzled why um, even just in the last 10 years more so that it kind of, there was this resurgence of language around liberal uh, thought and liberal activism and somehow that, that universities were places where all this liberal thought was being put in, in children's heads. And, <laughs> and I, I was, I mean, just so confused as to why you would think it a problem to expose people to other ideas. And it, and, and right. it is because not that uh, universities are indoctrinating. It is that um, they, the, the teaching of civics a certain way um, and not just kind of the schoolhouse rock. Um, this is the way it is. Um, and this, you know, right. we have a democracy. This is, this is the way you should view it. Um, you know, it's, it's just amazing that um, people are fighting against that. And, but it makes right. sense when, when you want a group of people to do exactly what you tell them to do. So if you want a group of thinkers, then you have difficult conversations. But if you don't want a group of thinkers, you say, here's how it happened. And if you even so much as question it, you are um, not patriotic or you are, um, you are a threat to our democracy or you should right. go – go back, you know, kind of the go back home or go to one of those communist countries, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. um, right. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's amazing. I remember one time I was uh, visiting a place in um, in Louisiana uh, where I'm broadcasting from, 
and I had I had to show uh, a driver's license at the time. I had not uh, uh, moved to Louisiana and um, showed my driver's license, and the guy said, oh, you're from one of them communist states. It was a Connecticut uh, driver's license. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> he called me. He was like, yeah, one of those communist states up there. I was like, wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> if you right. say so. But but it runs right. deep. And, yeah. Yeah, it's no accident that I think a lot of the, the a lot of the sort of what I describe as hit pieces <laughs> that have been written you know, about teachers who are resisting these, you know, for lack of a better word, these anti-CRT laws, you know, the word communism comes up a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, like CRT, I don't think anybody who's using that term has any idea, mm-hmm. you know, what what that is. It's just one of these, you know, incendiary terms that's used to sort of discredit people, Um yeah, and I mean, what, what you're talking about, too, you know, just coming back to the piece that you read that I wrote about, you know, the United States not being a democracy and we should stop telling kids that it is, you know, uh, what I find a lot in civics education is that we, um, we really encourage teachers to teach about controversial issues. So we'll say, like, today we're going to be talking about, you know, the history of um, – abortion legislation, or mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about, you know, desegregation of schools. And, and we encourage kids to learn about, um, you know, controversial topics. But where we sort of, I think, overall sort of fall short is we don't ask them to critically interrogate the container in which those controversial issues are taking place. That is, we don't sort of give them license to actually look at the overall structure of our system and say, you know, do we want to continue to have an electoral college? Do we want to continue to have the filibuster? (laughs) Right? Like the things that actually structure our ability to, um, to transform our society um, in, in real, you know, um, uh, tangible ways. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm really saying is that I want, um, I want us to both continue to have kids talk about, yes, controversial issues, but also sort of raise the structure of our very society as well yeah. um, as, as fair game in the civics classroom. Absolutely. So I know we're we're just about out of time, but I wanted to leave just a moment. What advice are you giving or would you give to the U.S. history teachers? Um, I know you have some um, some articles and lessons that you've been kind enough to publish um, that that might serve as a resource for some. But but what what are you saying and what would you say to them that need encouragement in this area? Uh, to do this work? Oh, man, that is a big question. I mean, I, I, I guess the first thing I would say is that I just want to say how much I hear how hard it is for teachers right now in myriad ways. We are mm-hmm. still in a pandemic. We are coming back from, you know, a year of teaching mostly online and kids in all you know, having all sorts of needs that teachers, of course, by themselves cannot fill. And, and then this on top of it, right, the, the right, anti-CRT right. stuff on top of it. So just so much appreciation for how hard this year is. Um, 
You know, I guess I, I want to say that to act, um, you know, to act in the best interest of students right now by teaching the truth is an act of bravery, and it also um, puts you in really good company <laughs> with people mm-hmm. throughout history who have, you know, stood um, for, for what's right, even when it was hard, and that, you know, to teach the history of racism in the United States is also an opportunity to teach the history of movements to end it. And, um, and that by doing that, you're participating in that movement, um, you know, and that these movements have always been multiracial, they've always been multiethnic, they've always been built across lines of gender and class and race, um, and that, you know, I want teachers to see themselves as part of that long history of, you know, struggling to make a more just, a more just world for us all and for their students. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And again, I want to thank you for uh, agreeing to come on. This has been very informative and I, I learned a lot. I know that other people listening in uh, learned um, as well. Um, do you want to tell us, uh, people listening, tell us about um, where we can uh, look up some of your, your, your work? I know some, where I saw it yes. was a part of the, the Zen Ed Project, but you may have other websites you want to share um, for um, some of the work. Right. Yeah, I will just go ahead and share rethinkingschools.org. So rethinkingschools.org, all one word. And then um, zenedproject.org. That's where you can find my writing and then a lot more (laughs) uh, writing by a lot of other folks who are um, really, really uh, smart and active in, in the movement for educational justice. And we're also on all the social media, and um, yeah, I would love to love to continue the conversation um, with folks if they're interested. Excellent. And thank, thank you so you much so. for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm going to be, I, I will uh, keep watching and listening for the work that you're doing, and I'm looking forward to reading some more of your pieces. Uh, folks, uh, there's uh, several articles that Ursula's written in the Zen, two Ns, Z-I-N-N, edproject.org, um, um, on that website that she has written that are well worth your time, very short uh, pieces that are well worth your consideration. Um, so I'm going to keep looking out for your work, and so we hope to hear from you again. Uh, but until that time, go well, stay well, Ursula. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Perkins. Have a good night.